It's great to be with you guys today. Super excited. I'm turn this a little bit. Uh, we are uh, very, very pumped up about Family Month. If you guys um, have been with us um, for at least more than one Family Month, you know that we do this every year. Uh, every year we, we dive into a Family Month series. Uh, we make it more than a series. Uh, it's not just what we consider just like uh, lessons on family and then that's it. We actually turn it into like a major campaign, which is why you have goodie bags and wristbands and there's going to be family devotionals that you can take home and every day you and your family can like go through the devotional and like read a scripture and dive into like questions and answers. And, um, and so we just really, really value families. Um, and the reason why we value families is because uh, family is a representation of God's family. Re family is important to God. And so if you look through the scriptures, uh, there's a lot of comparisons uh, of family. There's a lot of, like actually the measurement of love to love one another is the measurement of love each other like you love your family. And so we just really want to make sure that everyone in South Hills has the opportunity to dive deeper into a connection and a relationship with their families. And everything you learn about families is going to be uh, related to other relationships in your life. And um, before we dive into all that, I just want to take a moment and celebrate. Uh, last weekend, last weekend at all of our campuses as we closed, um, as we closed the, uh, all together now, the series that we were doing, uh, we celebrated and we closed the series with doing baptisms at all of our, all of our campuses. And so uh, you, as Pastor Randy mentioned, uh, South Hills Church is one church in multiple locations, and we had all of our locations do baptisms. And so... And so what is baptism? Baptism is ultimately a representation of a decision you've made in your heart. So someone who's chosen to be baptized has made the decision inside of their heart to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and ultimately has asked God, uh, Christ into their heart. And so baptism is a representation of a decision that was made inside of your heart. And so when you, when you are baptized, um, the Bible says it's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. We're going to see a lot of that today, which is super exciting. So when someone goes underwater, they are literally bearing old thoughts, old lifestyles, old behaviors, uh, old mindsets, and then they're coming out of the water as a fresh start, new beginning, new mind, new relationship, uh, focus on Christ, focus on Christ being uh, the, thought, the driver of your thoughts and your life. And so it's a huge celebration. It's a huge celebration. And so last weekend, I just want to share it with you, we celebrated 47 baptisms. 47 baptisms at all of our locations. So yeah, let's just give God a huge round of applause. I'm very proud of our campuses, our church, um, for what we're doing and how ultimately God is moving the hearts of, of people. And today, today, as Pastor Randy mentioned, there's going to be celebration of baptisms today. So if you were coming today not thinking you were going to get baptized, you can actually still be a part of that. Pastor Randy isn't going to uh, shut you down. I promise he will give you the opportunity if you weren't thinking about being baptized and all of a sudden, you know, just something is speaking into your heart or speaking in your mind as the service goes on or as you see people being baptized and you want to make that decision, the opportunity to do that is still yours. Sound good? All right. Pastor Randy might even get baptized. You never know. All right. So here we go. So we are diving into, uh, we are diving into family month, as I mentioned. And there's a scripture that I want to read that really is kind of the driving force of this series, is the driving force of this message today. And this, and this scripture is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, you can follow along with me on, this, on the screen. It'll be right behind me. And it says, love each other like the members of your family. This is the Apostle Paul sharing, uh, sharing with the people, trying to help them understand. He's saying, love each other like members of your family. 
be the best at showing honor to each other. So you might find this surprising, but apparently thousands of years ago, people still had a hard time getting along. And people, you know, ultimately were having a hard time with each other's opinions and each other's lifestyles and each other's choices, choices of words or lack of words or how they use their words, um, how they ultimately viewed each other, um, the judgments, whether they were positive judgments or negative judgments. And so there was this quarreling going on. This quarreling and these arguments and this division happening. So the Apostle Paul comes in and says, listen, guys, listen. Let's just stop fighting. Let's just stop arguing. Let's just stop trying to prove each other right or wrong. And he says, love each other. Love each other like members of your family. And so in the Bible, the family love had like a, a, the highest level of love. It had the highest value. And, you know, most families that ultimately are healthy families, they have a tolerance and a grace and mercy for family more than they would like a, a, a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. And so in, in the measurement in the human mind, the human heart measurement of love, the family love was the highest. And so the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, listen, as you guys live life, view each other as family. Look at each other's lives as family. And so he was saying, what he was seeing was that people were constantly frustrated. They were frustrated and they couldn't get past their frustrations. And because they couldn't get past their frustrations, they were creating a division in relationships with each other. And so what the Apostle Paul was trying to help them understand is like, love each other like family. And he, the phrase was ultimately this, see past your frustration, See past your frustration. Don't allow your frustration to be the lens that you look at every relationship in, whether it's a relationship with your brother, sister, mom, dad, son, daughter, coworker, neighbor. See past your frustrations if you want a chance of a healthy relationship. If you want a chance of a relationship that matters and that has meaning, that has depth, you got to be able to see past your frustration. And I don't know if if growing up, if your family was anything like mine, when I was growing up, um, I, I came from a large family. Uh, my mom and dad had six kids, two, two boys, four girls, four girls, four sisters growing up, four. And then I had an older brother that should have been a sister. So really, it felt like five sisters, but one was called a brother. And so it, we, I, we weren't the healthiest family. Um, we had a Hispanic culture. The Hispanic culture is very like silent and quiet about like pain or 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 frustration. Um, they don't necessarily share. They're not vulnerable, so they don't share when they're when they're upset or their feelings were hurt. So they kind of just keep that stuff inside and don't talk about them. And so growing up, I didn't necessarily have the healthiest family. My parents loved God. My, we, we, were, we were Christians. We went to church. But the church that we went to wasn't necessarily uh, a church that kind of walked us through life. It was just more of a church that just preached at us. So it didn't dive into how to have healthy relationships, how to have healthy you know, uh, connections with your family, how to, how to talk about pain or frustration. or It didn't dive into that stuff. So as we were growing up, we were really a hot mess. I mean, our family was a hot mess. Have you guys ever used that phrase, hot mess? Anybody? Okay, so hot mess, actually, I, I dug into it a little bit. So back in the 19th century, this term hot mess actually referred to um, food. 
And it was kind of like a big, huge, uh, big, huge celebration and food just laid out. So a hot mess was considered like a place of food celebration. I like that hot mess. My family was not that type of hot mess. My family was a different hot mess. In the 21st century, that word, that phrase hot mess turned into something that was more chaotic something that was more disastrous and referred to as, uh, as a, 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 a person or a, a group of people that ultimately did not, could not keep it together. And the actual, the actual term is this. A hot mess is an attractive disaster. It's an attractive disaster. And so I don't know why attractive, but my family that I considered a broken family growing up was sarcastic. Like they just thought sarcasm was the best way of communicating. And, you know, and so although sarcasm can be funny, sarcasm can also be hurtful, right? And so my family also avoided conflict or tension. And so if there was ever an argument or a frustration or, um, uh, you know, there was just something inside of our hearts that was upset with each other, we wouldn't be like, hey, listen, when you said that I'm always... Um, driving you crazy, or I'm always annoying you, that actually hurt my feelings. Um, so can we talk about what you mean by, by that? That was, that just wasn't even in our vocabulary. We didn't, there's no way, even a thought of even approaching someone about conflict or tension. Um, there was all these unmet expectations, which meant there was expectations of each other that were never verbalized. So unspoken expectations, we all know that if you have an unspoken expectation, the person that is supposed to be meeting your expectation that doesn't know what the expectation is, are they going to be successful with that? Absolutely not. If the other person doesn't know what you expect of them, they're most likely going to fail at that expectation, which then creates disappointment, frustration, and distance inside of the person with the expectation. So this is just a little snippet of my family growing up. And it took us some time to realize that we were a hot mess. And then it took us some time to realize that, well, we're not the only family that's a hot mess. So good news. Good news is this. There's always another family whose life is a bigger mess than yours. I'm just kidding. That is not the good news. That's a joke, okay? That's a joke. The real good news, okay? The real good news. It's not just you. It's not just you. It's not just your family. Your family, my family, we are not the only ones that struggle with being a hot mess, that struggle with unmet expectations, that struggle with not knowing how to address the tension or how to have conversations that are going to ultimately drive towards health and minimize distance inside of our hearts. And so what I want to do is I want to just give you guys a, a few perspectives that are real, um, that by nature, because of our life and our age and our experiences, by nature, our mind and our heart has thoughts and judgments about other people, family, friends, coworkers, without even realizing that we have these premeditated judgments. One of them is this, the halo effect. The halo effect is kind of like a positive judgment. It sounds really cool, huh? It says like the halo effect is the tendency for a positive impression in one area to create a positive assumption about others, often unrelated areas. So the halo effect is something inside of our heads, something inside of our hearts that ultimately see nothing but great in the other person, which sounds like a really good deal, right? 
except for like maybe when you were like in high school and you brought home your first boyfriend that had these baby blue eyes and these long blonde Goldilocks uh, uh, hair and all you saw was beauty and then you brought him home to meet your parents and your parents are like, oh, so like, do you have a job? Like, oh, I did have a job, but I, I lost it. Like, oh, you get another one? Like, yeah, but um, I lose them quite often. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, so like, do you pay all your bills? Uh, most of the time, I do have a lot of people calling me, you know, chasing me for debt. Like, oh, okay. Um, uh, so tell me about your, tell me about how you deal with, with, with uh, your family. Like, oh, I hate my family. I just, they're the worst ever. I just cuss and scream at them all the time. And then like, as a parent, you're thinking like, wow, this person really is a hot mess. But the person in love with them is all they see is the baby blue eyes. All they see is the Goldilocks hair, right? And so the halo effect can have a, 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 a lens where you don't see the brokenness inside of another person. Now, the same is opposite for, there's, a, there's an opposite view, and this view is called the horn effect, the horn effect. The horn effect is the opposite of the halo effect, which is the tendency for a negative impression in one area to create a negative assumption about others, often in unrelated areas. And what this means is this. You've already made a judgment about someone else even before they give you the opportunity to prove you right or possibly, possibly prove you wrong. Possibly. Not saying that you'd be wrong, but there's a possibility, right? And so the, 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 uh, the horn effect gives you this perspective of like, this person is a bad person, or this person doesn't have it together, or this person is not going to be someone I connect with because they look or they think or they whatever. Here's some examples. Someone who has a d different political view than yourself. You automatically write that person off like, oh, if that person has a different political view... They're just an idiot. There's no way that they, we can connect. There's no way that we're going to be able to get along. There's no way that we're going to be able to have a friendship, right? It's a different political view. Um, someone who ultimately, uh, let's see here, someone who's needy, right? You, you automatically, you, you view them as needy. Uh, someone who's critical, you view them as critical. And before they've even given you an opportunity to be right, you've already made these, these assumptions, assumptions, and then all of a sudden they start with a negative equity inside of your life even before you've even given them the opportunity. And so what I want to do today, what I want to do today is help us understand that we tend to see what we are searching for. We tend to see what we are searching for. And our goal, our goal is to, set, is to see past our frustrations, our goal is to see past our frustrations. Just because someone was critical to you in your past doesn't mean that every person is going to be critical to you in your present. Just because someone hurts you in your past doesn't mean that someone's going to hurt you in your present. Just because you've had past experiences that were hurtful and painful doesn't mean that every new experience is going to be hurtful and painful. Do we tread differently? Do we tread, you know, tread differently because of our, our pain in the past? Absolutely. But ultimately, a lot of times, we, we, we cut ourselves short of a great relationship in the present because of a painful experience in the past. And so I want to help us to see past our frustrations. And I'm not saying that you're not going to be offended. Every relationship opens the opportunity for offense. As a matter of fact, being offended is inevitable. Being offended is inevitable. You're going to be offended at some time. But living offended is a choice. Living in the offense is something that you can decide to either hold on to or to work through and let go. 
And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and I'm going to read multiple scriptures, and this is kind of where the heart of the message is for today. I want to share the scripture. This is the Apostle Paul, once again, sharing wisdom, sharing insight, helping us understand how to have strong, healthy family relationships, how to have healthy relationships with those around us. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us, like, listen, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be angry. You're going to be offended. But what I would like for you to grasp is the day of your hurt should also be the day of your healing. It's, it's going to happen. In a world of 8 billion people and different thoughts, different opinions, different words, different life experiences, you're going to somehow, some way, find offense in some other person. That's inevitable. But the decision to live in offense is yours. And so what he's saying is the day of your hurt should also be the day of your healing. Allow yourself the confidence to have a conversation with someone that you ultimately would love to have a closer relationship with and have a conversation about the hurt. And you will quickly find that there was a misunderstanding in the representation of those words that caused that hurt. And now you can get past it and not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, the other thing that I really want to... draw attention to in that verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, there's a part where it says, for the anger gives a foothold to the devil. When I was looking at this scripture, and I've seen it before, um, I used to think foothold was actually like a, a spot or a place where you could actually put your foot, kind of like, you know, the rock wall that, that's outside. There's these little spots for your foot to go so you can climb and climb and climb. I used to think foothold was something of, of that nature, or, or possibly like if a door was closing and you didn't want to see it close, you'd put your foot, now your foot is holding the space between the door and the, and the lock. That's what I used to think foothold was, but as I actually looked into it, foot, foothold has a different meaning. And I'm not a Greek guy, but I looked into the word, and it says the, the, the Greek word for, for foothold is topos. And here's what this means. This is really good. A place or a room. A place or a room. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a place in your life. Don't give the devil a whole room in your home. It says don't let your, don't let your heart be taken and allow the devil to have a place or a home in your room. And so verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So that your words could be an encouragement to those who hear them. The, the funny thing is, you have probably all met people who use harsh words, right? And, and as you read this, it says, don't, be, uh, don't use uh, abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. It doesn't say, hey, let all your words be arrogant. It doesn't say, hey, let all your words be critical. This is how you're going to build a really good relationship with those that you love. Let all your, all your words be harsh. This is how you're going to draw closer to those in your family and those outside your family. It doesn't say that. It says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 
which I thought was super genius with Randy when he came up with this idea of keep your words soft and sweet. And here's a reminder for that as you go about your rest of your family month, hopefully this lasts a month, that every time you put chapstick on, you're going to remind yourself, Ephesians chapter 4, that your words be soft and sweet. It says, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, all anger, all harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So the Apostle Paul is kind of pleading with us saying, use words that are going to be encouraging and helpful. Use words that are going to draw you closer to those that you love. Use words that are going to be inspiring and that are going to motivate someone to be in a closer relationship with you. Because when you choose different words, a gap and a distance is created. Now, just for a second, let's just, let's just pretend. Let's just pretend. Let's just, like, for example, like, like the Bible says that, that the devil and the demons, they scheme against you. This is true. In the Bible, it says that the devil and the demons, they have a strategy to how to get you to fail. They think about ways to get you to think wrong about God, to think you, get you to think wrong about others. So every day, they're putting thoughts inside of your head and your heart to get you to create distance between God and distance between those around you. So for just a second, just humor me. Pretend. Just pretend, okay? Pretend that you or that I we're in a brainstorming meeting in hell with the demons around the conference table. And on the board, it says, the goal, to break the heart of God. Then the devil turns around and says, okay, demons, what are your ideas? How? How do we break the heart of God? And then the demons are sitting there like, okay, break the heart of God, break the heart of God, break the heart of God. What is the heart of God? What is the heart of God? Is it power? No. No, God doesn't care about power. Somebody mocks him, says, no, that was a stupid idea. Okay, is it popularity? No, God doesn't care about popularity, dummy. Choose a better idea. So they're obviously they're not encouraging to each other. It's a board meeting in hell about how to break the heart of God, right? And so then it's like, okay, I got it. It's money. Let's get them at the money side. Like, no, God could care less about money. Come on, guys, better ideas, better ideas. And like, okay, okay. What does God love? What does God love? Oh, got it. Got it. What does God love? God is a father. And not just any father. He's a loving father. And what does every loving father absolutely love? Their children. That's how we're going to break the heart of God. We're going to go after God's children. And this is a scheme. And this is the plan, and this is the idea. How do you go after God's children? You divide them. Every parent's broken heart is when their kids don't get along. Every parent's broken heart is when their kids are fighting and screaming and yelling at each other and hate each other. Every parent's broken heart is when their, sibling, when their, when their children cannot stand to be in the same room with each other. So the, the plan of destruction is the three Ds. Divide the families divide friends, and divide churches. This is the master plan from, from the pit of hell, from the devil himself and the demons who are ultimately looking to break the heart of God. Divide families, divide friends, divide churches. How do we do this? How do we get them to divide? I'll give you four very easy topics. Politics, mass mandates, vaccine mandates, and ra racial tension. 
Get them all to talk about that, and you'll see a mass destruction of division. And then there's a hundred other things that you can add to the list that's going to create division. And then here you have it. God's children yelling and screaming at each other on different sides of the room, hating each other, pointing fingers at each other, and then creating the biggest division of all. And it was all a part of a master plan. And yet in verse 32, it says, instead, instead of that destruction, instead of that division, be kind to each other. How about that as a bright idea? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another just just as Christ has forgiven you, because division is a strong tool of destruction. Division is a strong, successful tool of destruction. The reason why this has been a part of a brainstorming meeting in hell for years and years and years is because it works. The topics may change, the politics may change, the viruses may change, but division is a strong tool of destruction. So today, as we wrap up week number one, I would love, love, love for you to open your heart and open your mind and to search into your heart. Search into yourself because it's very easy for me to search into my family's heart and say, Caleb, you need to be more kind. Caden, quit picking on your brother. You're an instigator. Ezra, you have a short temper. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And I, it's very easy for me to do that, right? I can go down the list, and I can do it again. Caleb, and I, and I have a long list for each and every one of them. And then forget about Jill. My, her list is twice as long. But what good does that do me just to point at their list all day, right? At some point, I need to point at my list and control what I can control. And Psalms chapter 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God. Search me. It doesn't say, search your child. Search your wife's heart. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. And then it says, point out everything you find in me that makes you sad. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. If there's a Last thought that I'd like to just put inside of your head and heart before we close today, it's this. We aren't here to make a point. We're here to make a difference. We're here to make a difference, to make a change so that we can have this depth of relationship with God and this depth of relationship with our family and this depth of relationship with our neighbors and our coworkers so we can get the most out of life and honor God with our lives. The destruction is to divide, and that is not God's plan. You already know that there's a brainstorming meeting happening every day to get you to separate from God, separate from your family, and separate from those that are close to you. So as we dive into week two and week three and week four and week five of family month, why don't we dive into searching our hearts and figuring out what are the words that we can say, what are the thoughts that we can have, how can we possibly look at life through someone else's lens so that we can stay closer and closer and break the heart of God from this division and, and grab a hold of the heart of God, which is unity and alignment and closeness and depth. Let's bow our heads.